everyone. Welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast for Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, William Lou, speaking to you after a very bitter and uh, difficult loss against the Brooklyn Nets. I, I have to say, a very exciting game end-to-end. You know Brooklyn was going to respond after losing badly uh, in game one, and they did so. I thought their defensive effort from guys like Ryan, um, Royce O'Neal or from, uh, you know, Guys like Nick Claxton, they did a great job in terms of just amping up the intensity and, of course, putting KD and Kyrie in a position where if it's a close game with those two, they're going to make shots. And and when you think about what makes Brooklyn so disappointing at times and also what makes them so scary at the same time is that extra bit of shot making. I mean, don't know if you could have played better defense than OG's closeout against Kevin Durant when KD hit a pull-up three to go up three. Um, OG was right there. OG has a seven-foot-two wingspan. He's putting a right up there, and KD somehow shoots over the top. I don't even know if he saw the rim. I don't know if it doesn't really even matter for him. He makes it, and I don't know if you can play better defense than Fred, you know, uh, pressuring Kyrie or uh, Gary pressuring Kyrie and, and making him pivot and turn, and somehow he's still firing up jumpers uh that uh you know keep the nets ahead and those type of momentum shots are are so dangerous that it leads you into a position where you feel helpless and with about five seconds left four seconds left on a shot clock on a one possession game the raptors down i believe one fred comes over uh with a hard trap on Kyrie in the middle of the floor and Kyrie is always keeping this dribble alive and making the extra pass to the open man. Royce O'Neal had not hit a three at that point, but he finally hits a three, the biggest one of the game. Uh, and you might say, well, that's uh, you know an aggressive gamble by Fred that didn't really pay off. But I'm here to tell you that the Raptors had no other hope of stopping Kyrie. If you let Kyrie shoot one-on-one, he was going to score in that game. Uh, and so that's the kind of desperation that the Raptors were sort of playing with defensively at times. But still a really good effort. Um, and not one to necessarily get upset about. I think it's just uh, upsetting because the Raptors did have the lead at times in this game, but to be honest, the whole game had this up-and-down kind of flow. Uh, A lot of runs by both teams. You know, the Raptors would go up, and then the Nets would come back, and then the Nets would go up, and the Raptors come back. And, you know, of course, you have your standard Raptors, uh, you know, scoring droughts. Uh, Not a surprise that it coincided with the bench. Uh, playing a big part in the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter. Um, at one point, it was a 17-0 Brooklyn run. Um, this is after Pascal had just put him in uh, in a great position to be up double digits, handing it off to the bench. Can they do something? No. And and that's the part where if you are frustrated with this game, um, that's the lingering regret you come away with. Not necessarily um, that the fact that you lost, but in the manner that you lost because there's a lot of young mistakes in this one that are just... You know, tough lessons, tough lessons for guys. You know, you for example, you wouldn't expect Christian Coloco's welcome to the NBA moment to be delivered by Nick Claxton, of all people, who was also quite young. But the way Nick Claxton was working him on the offensive glass, around the basket, uh, the hustle, I mean, it, it was it, it was a clear mismatch. Uh, Christian Coloco plays 20 minutes, gets two offensive rebounds, uh, has five personal fouls, scores one point. I have to say his first shift was actually decent and solid. But as the game went on, especially in that third quarter there, Nick Claxton working Coloco at the end of the end of the second quarter, the two is just is nasty. When you look at, uh, you know, Claxton in there, they're 19 
points, 11 rebounds, including seven offensive, eight of 11 from the field, uh, eight free throw trips. Uh, it's too bad he can't really make them consistently, but, you know, he was, you know, active enough to get there, four blocks, a steal. Like, you look at the young mistakes of when you come into this game of, okay, well, you know, you got to do whatever you need to do to stop Kyrie. You got to do whatever you need to do to stop KD. And, of course, you know, Ben Simmons, even though um, he's very limited, Still coming back after missing so much time, you know, he has the ability to play make and you worry about him. And then you got to worry about their shooters like Joe Harris and Patty Mills. And, and you got to say, look, Nick Claxton, I don't, I don't even know if it was necessarily in the scouting report, but you don't expect him to be worked so hard uh, against Christian Coloco. Like it, it was nasty to watch, um, you know, and then you look at Delano and was he impactful offensively? I mean, he made a couple of cuts, which was cool, but like ultimately, as the backup point guard, did he initiate any offense? I don't really think so. You look at his 15, uh, 13 minutes, he's a minus 15. You look at Precious, who has been hugely disappointing. Uh, but in this game, I mean, the first shot he takes is a three. It, 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 it's a wide-open catch-and-shoot three. I don't know if he rushed it. I don't know if he didn't catch it properly. But the shot ended up hitting above the square on the backboard on a catch-and-shoot three. What's happening there? The shooting has been erratic in preseason, and it continues to be so two games into the season itself. But most importantly, it's the defense. Like, where was the defensive effort from some of the guys on the bench? Because, look, listen, I'm not ultimately, as much as you, we people expected Precious to make a jump, as much as you expected, you know, the second rounders and Christian and, and, and Delano to sort of, you know, uh, continue showing more signs of promise. What you want to see from these guys at the minimum is defensive effort. And that's the thing that's disappointing because you can't, you can't go into a game against Brooklyn well, they're motivated, and clearly the crowd is into it and all that stuff, to be honest. Like, it, it was a good atmosphere. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say hostile because we're talking about, you know, Brooklyn and we're talking about game two of the regular season. But the energy when the crowd was big. But the Raptors coming into this game, their advantage, and I said this uh, on the program uh, earlier today that I expected the Raptors to really get on the offensive glass. Well, there was no effort on the offensive glass. Uh, you know, th- in fact, the Raptors ended up getting out-rebounded in the offensive department, 13-8. to eight. I mean, that's the way you beat the Brooklyn Nets. You you hammer them over the head with your athleticism, with your size. You crash the glass. You get extra possessions because you know if you give Brooklyn a lot of possessions, they're probably going to score, right? They're going to shoot 48% from the field. They're going to shoot 37% for three. They're going to get to the line 30 times. Like These are things that are going to happen with that team because they have Kyrie and they have KD. And to a lesser extent, they even have Ben, who made a couple of really nice connecting passes, although the Raptors really did overreact uh, a lot defensively to him. But that's how you win against them. You, you use your athleticism advantage. And, and if anything, the Raptors almost got single-handedly out-rebounded on the offensive side but just Nick Claxton alone. And that's unacceptable by this team. If you are making your identity on your, as a team on defense and on the fact that you are very athletic and you're tatting, oh, everyone's 6'9", Fred's 6'9 in his heart. You're talking about the whole team full of 6'9 guys who are all young in their 20s couldn't get more than eight offensive rebounds against Brooklyn, right? Like, that has to be better on that front. And they weren't forcing turnovers either. Now, that's not that much of a surprise to me because Brooklyn, obviously, they're getting into Kyrie. They're going to KD. These are very experienced ball handlers. It's not easy to turn these guys over, right? These guys are going to handle. Even if you trap them or whatever, they're going to make the right passes as we saw Kyrie made on the game-clinching assist to uh, Royce O'Neal. But, like, you have to win the possession battle at certain points because, look, the Raptors' offense onto itself was actually okay. Obviously, there were real, like, uh, empty moments. You know, like, uh, you know, there was a five-minute scoring drought between the end of the third and the start of the fourth. 
But like when you look at the final numbers and the Raptors shoot 49% from the field, they're 39% from three. That's pretty good. And they didn't turn the ball over that much. 14 is slightly higher for them, but they're probably going to come in this season at about 12, maybe, you know? So like, that's not necessarily something that's going to work you in this game, but you needed to win those extra possessions and you, the, the, the feel and, and the, 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 uh, the style of this game was not a Raptors basketball type of game. And so, yes, you were in tight at the end, but, you know, and, and of course you could look at things like Fred Van Bleek getting a clean strip on KD uh, with the Raptors down three. And I think the refs, because it's very clean. Now, the, the, I think the refs were just anticipating that the Raptors were going to intentionally foul. And so they just blew the whistle, but it was very clean. Like, it, and and that's one of those things where okay, maybe you excuse the ref because you know it's a little hard to get every single thing right. You, you get, they're human and all that stuff, but you know that's what the challenge is for. And unfortunately, Nick used this challenge earlier in the fourth quarter on a play where Pascal was was trying to back down Royce O'Neal, gave him one hard bump, and then the second hard bump, Royce O'Neal being a clever defender. Uh, f- sells the the flop like you see this all the time right i'm I'm serious like you, you look at other games or like or you know even across the east like a like a marcus smart or like a uh like a west matthews like these kind of guys who who are gonna try to guard up and and and, and be pesky perimeter defenders it's a classic move you take the first bump from the wing like pascal who's trying to get a deeper post position try to get into that second box area uh trying to touch the paint and you know that they're gonna hit you a second time and then you sell that contact it is a flop for sure in terms of just like uh, exaggerating the contact, but it's not something you overturn because you go to the, the the monitor and the referee sees, well, yes, Russell O'Neill sold this. However, Pascal initiated the contact, so it's not going to be overturned. Um, so because of that, though, Nick doesn't have the challenge for Fred at the very end where Fred actually had gotten the steal and whatever, man. I, I think even if you did get the correct challenge and if you got the challenge and you corrected the call, um, you would still have to execute and get a quick three off in transit uh, in a half court setting to force overtime potentially. Um, that's not easy necessarily. Um, and and that's where the regret is that okay, if the ref- if the officials actually just called it correctly, which is that Fred stole the ball from KD. Well, KD was in the backcourt and Fred had stolen the ball. That's an open three for Fred. Which which is a way more prime opportunity to tie the game. But again, it's not one of those games where you look back on and and think about that call. Like again, the refs are going to make you know not going to make every single call at every single time. But for the Raptors, when you had control of this game, you need to seize control and you need to assert control. Because you know I was watching like the first game that Brooklyn played when they got you know smacked down by the Pelicans. Number one, the Pelicans got them for like twenty offensive rebounds. Okay, so eight is not going to cut it. And second of all. When the Nets sort of made their runs and Kyrie was, you know, uh, weaving his magic and KD was, you know, hitting, you know, contested jumpers. By the way, KD missed a whole bunch of jumpers in this game, too. So it wasn't even like the Raptors were guarding well. Like, they they just allowed him to get free way too many times. But even when those guys were making their shots and making their runs and it's like, ooh, here comes the Nets. A team like the Pelicans really just had answers. You know, there was no drop-off. You know, guys like Brandon Ingram or Zion will get to the basket or CJ, who's a master at the mid-range. You know, like all these these guys will consistently have answers. You didn't see no seventeen or nothing runs because the Raptors couldn't get a shot, or the Pelicans couldn't get a shot, and that's kind of the difference here. Like when you're when you're looking at this game, um, you know, you got to get something else from the second unit. That's that's also why I said that like you know Chris Boucher's absence was actually going to be a big factor here, not just because Chris has generally played really well against Brooklyn, but when you see Chris out of the lineup, and especially when you see Precious just giving you complete duds the way he's right now. 
you see a real drop-off going to the bench. Last season, when the Raptors went to the bench, in the second half of the season, right? First half of the season, bench was empty. You know, you're getting nothing off the bench, right? Uh, second half of the season, the way the Raptors won a lot of these games was they would bring in Precious, and they would bring in Chris. They'd be huge, and they would crash the offensive glass. They, uh, they, they shut down the paint for you. They wouldn't let, you know, someone like Nick Claxton get 19 and 11 with seven offensive rebounds and, like, 100 dunks. Right, like none of that stuff was happening, but you take that out and you replace it with Thad Young, who only played six minutes. He's been ineffective the two games here. Um, you know, Juancho hasn't even played in this game after just not playing well in game one either. Uh, and then you're trusting Coloco to play this many minutes so far. So this is like literally his second professional game in the NBA, and Delano, who can be up and down. Like, you know, you you get to a point where you know you you just it's hard to it's hard to win those games and then you really put pressures on your starters to all be excellent right and you know pascal was doing the work for two people maybe even three people i mean 37 points on 15 of 20 shooting with 13 rebounds and 11 assists i mean he was cooking he was he was just doing everything you would want right he was leading comebacks uh he was setting guys up it was, it was a beautiful thing to watch you know fred you know, he takes a step back. You know, the whole emphasis has been, okay, we're going to, like, play through our wings and, and play more mismatched basketball, and Fred's going to be more a distributor. Well, guess what? When, when it comes to a tough moment, don't you want Fred to sort of take over and take a big shot, right? And and who has the courage on this team to take a big shot and seek out a big shot? Not just, like, oh, with the ball swinging to you and, and you're open because someone else got doubled, and it's a big moment you take that shot. That's not as much of a big shot so much as Fred sprinting around a pin down with Ben Simmons covering him. And he and, and this is while Kyrie is hitting every single jumper, and Fred gives you another three, then he gives you another three, then he sets up another guy, then he sets up another guy. Like Fred took over when you needed him to. You know, Scotty Barnes, same pattern as always. Quiet first half, strong second half. He ended up finishing the game with a pretty decent stat line: seventeen points, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals, a block. Understanding where he could pick his spots, uh, working around Pascal Siakam, who was drawing double teams um, because again he had thirty-seven, thirteen, and eleven. Uh, and so he was getting into the game, but it was an average game from Gary, probably below average, just because of, there were some some opportunities there where he really couldn't get it to drop. I do feel bad for him in his percentage here because there was a lot of stagnant offense at the start of the fourth quarter, and it was a lot of give it to Gary and late shot clock and let him create. Like that's just not his game, and this is also one of the reasons why people advocating for Gary to come off the bench. So give me that six man role. He doesn't create his own offense in the same way that you want a lot of six men to do. Uh, he doesn't use the pick and roll in the way that you would you see a lot of traditional six men uh, play. And, and most importantly, he's a better play finisher. So when you have Pascal finding him uh, uh, on a uh, on a cut, and 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 Gary can go to the basket and finish. You know, there was another. I mean, this is also a bad example because Gary did miss a wide open catch and shoot three from Pascal. But let's like you know that's sort of the situation you will ideally want him in. Um, but you know, Gary had a tough night, and OG offensively, I I, I mean. It's look. He can he can he hit catch and shoot threes? Can he can can he get out in transition? Uh, and can he, you know, uh, find himself in the post and you know overpower a smaller guy sometimes? Yeah, right. To, to, can he cut and finish? You know, like yeah, you know. But the the stuff where they're just giving him the ball and letting him isolate and, and trying to get him advantages. I mean, like even he had Joe Harris on him. Joe Harris fresh off surgery. And, and not a great defender even for pre-surgery, and he still really can't get his shot off or really can't uh, get to his spots, and the shots look kind of erratic, and you got turnovers because he's not good at playing in a crowd. Um, 
you know, like it, it was a disappointing night from OG. Now, of course, he ends up hitting a big shot in the end of the game to tie. So, like, it's not to say he didn't contribute. And honestly, defensively, he did have some really good contests against KD or Kyrie. But, like, what can you really do, right? Great offense always beats great defense in that case. But, um, you know, you, you didn't ha- – my point is you didn't have five really good performances from your starting five. And then you look at your bench and you're like, damn, really? the, the, the bench numbers in terms of points are 0, 4, 1, and 4, right? So – Disappointing game in terms of just um, it, it being winnable and this being hotly contested. But there's also a lot of positives as well. And so um, on the other side of this break, I'm going to break down Pascal Siakam's excellent performance. I'm going to talk about uh, Fred Van Vliet and sort of the leadership that he showed in this game and 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 cover off uh, the three stars and the Gerald Henderson Award. So we're going to take this break. You've been listening to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sports Step Up 90 The Fan. We host Wim Luke. Continue to recap the Toronto Raptors 109 to 105 loss to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, dropping them to one and one on the very young season. Um yeah, okay, so you know, look, a lot of the first half of the show was was more of the you know what went wrong kind of portion. Uh, we can kind of go with what went right. Because look, all things considered, Brooklyn gave them a great effort, and the Raptors were right there in it. And that's not to say that, like, the expectation of this team is just to, like, you know, be happy with being in it. Like, I think we're kind of past that point now. But uh, still, lots of good stuff to celebrate, especially from your top two guys in Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. So let's start with Pascal. 37 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists, 15 of 20 shooting. I mean, look, uh, this was an awesome performance from Pascal. Like, um, you know, the, the, for me, my process for watching games, I, I like to take notes. Uh, sometimes I sort of go with the approach of, like, you know, what happens sequentially. Like, here's the play-by-play from the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever. Or and sometimes I sort of just do, like, player, and then I just kind of, like, lump all their contributions together. I have almost a page of notes just on Pascal and his offense alone. Um Wow. Like, I mean, it, this was just, this was honestly one of his most impressive performances of his career. It's such a shame that, uh, you know, it was wasted here. Um, and I mean, wasted literally in the sense that, like, the Raptors were down to start the uh, third quarter, a really, really quiet start. Uh, and they got down double digits. Then Pascal single handedly puts them up tw- like 10, a huge swing there. And then the, the bench sort of lets them down. Like, so I, I mean, like, wasted at certain points. Um, but let's go through them because wow, there were there were so many nice plays, you know, in terms of his his playmaking. Um, I know that was the thing for him where after the the win against Cleveland on the uh on the home opener, he decided to say, Well, I only had one assist. I gotta go back and look at sort of what kind of opportunities he had. And you know, I think it's not like he was more of a playmaker in terms of looking to assist more, but it's just the sense of like Pascal is so aggressive in terms of his scoring. And in in terms of especially now his patience to to get into the middle of the floor, a couple times where he, you could see him in the past, he might have rushed on a couple opportunities because he's a little anxious to score. Now he's very confident in his ability to score. So let's say for example he gets a screen from Fred, and there's a momentary gap in the defense that he can charge into the paint. But there's you know there's a decent number of help there. You know like maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't. He in that scenario just says, you know what? No, I'm gonna pull it back out. Uh, and yes, I could make this drive right here, but instead I can sort of isolate, get my man behind me, uh, see the entire defense, 
and where they're coming from and then go to work. And, and, and there was just so much of that tonight from Pascal. Like, I mean, you know, you see the variety in way in which he scores. You know, there's the there's the putbacks, there's the uh, there's the catch and shoot threes. Which, by the way, man, I've never seen Pascal coming around a pin down for a catch and shoot three off of a baseline out of bounds play. I mean, that that that's usually reserved for like Fred and and Gary, maybe OG. Um, but yeah, Pascal making a four point play. Uh, well, I guess he missed a free throw, but you know he got fouled on the three as well. But he made it. You know, uh, you know, catch and shoot threes as well. But the mid range pull up looks so smooth for him. Like him attacking Ben Simmons, which by the way, Ben Simmons used to give Pascal some real problems defensively. Maybe that speaks partially to also just the fact that Ben hasn't you know played basketball in a while and he's not exactly the same as he was back then. But you know, still Ben is is a physical defender. Pesky um, Pascal doesn't necessarily have a physical advantage over you know Ben the way he would have against other matchups. But Pascal pulling up from the mid range in his face, late shot clock scenario, looking super smooth. Um, you know, man, I mean, it's just there's just so many like fadeaway jumpers, driving in transition, uh, running ahead for dunks. You know, putbacks. You know, we're talking about cuts and one dunk over KD. You know, attack, driving, kick to Gary Trent Jr. for three. Um, you know, you know, post up fadeaways. You know, getting around his man. His his footwork is really strong. He's getting the free throw line. That's been a, a bigger point of emphasis. And he got to the line nine times today. He was at the line eight times uh, the day before. Uh, you still want to see him make more of these? It's a little odd that he's shooting like fifty percent from the free throw line right now. I think he was four of eight in game one. Now five of nine here. Um, that's not something that I'm long-term concerned with because Pascal, like last season, was like high 70s. And, uh, you know, even the, before that, he's been in the 80s before uh, from the free throw line. Yeah, 83 uh, in the Tampa season. He's always been a high 70s, almost 80% free throw shooter. So obviously this is not going to continue. And, of course, you look at a game like this, damn, you do wish that he was able to make more of these free throws because, of course, when it's a one-possession game like that at the end, everything counts, right? He did miss one after he drove. You know, the Raptors gave Pascal the ball uh, down four. Pascal drove one-on-one against KD, got him up in the air, took the bump, and then had the layup. Honestly, the the real missed opportunity was the layup because he really could have had a three-point play opportunity, and that really would have opened things up in terms of um, you know options for the Raptors' defense uh, to, in terms of uh, late-game fouling and something like this. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, everything is just looking really, really good for him. Like, I mean, you know, KD and Kyrie were doing their thing. They were hitting all sorts of wild jumpers and, and super contested things. And, and, again, like stuff that really, you know, is unguardable at times, particularly Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie willed them to win in this game um kd less so kd made a big shot at the end and, and of course kd is always you know dangerous but Kyrie was the main driver there but when you look at this game like pascal actually outperformed both those guys and it's a shame that we're not here talking about the win and, uh, and again uh, these are you know hypotheticals or whatever but like it is a shame that we're not here talking about the win because you know when you think about Pascal making a bold statement like, "Hey, I want to be top five this year," this would have been one of those statement games. You're playing against KD against Kyrie, obviously Kyrie less so in terms of spoken about in the top five sense, but KD definitely spoken about in the top five sense. And you go into KD's house and you outplay him and you out and you put up this type of performance. It's just a shame you don't get the win, right? Because otherwise the conversation would be a little different. But I mean, I mean, it, it's it's efficient, it's uh, poised, it's um, it's composed and it's thoughtful in the way he's playing too, because it's not even necessarily just the scoring because you kind of, what, what I anticipated at least was that when he had 20 at half that Brooklyn would look at it like, okay, 
uh, well, double team Pascal and the other guys aren't playing well, like Gary and OG aren't playing well. Those are your main shooters otherwise, right? Like we're going to double Pascal and um, force other guys to beat us, right? That, I mean, you know, that that would be a typical response you would see from a head coach. But I was actually surprised. The Nets actually didn't change up too much of the defensive scheme. The Nets are really switch heavy. They're very... Uh, they're, they limit their help. They don't. You don't see that many double teams from them. Maybe in the paint, obviously, because you obviously would double in the paint. Pretty much, you know, that's standard. But you don't see them double a lot the way the Raptors do. Um, and so Pascal's able to continue doing his work. But eventually, the Nets had to sort of double team him. And you had opportunities where like Raptors get down, you know, ten points, and you have an entire nine nothing run all set up by Pascal. You know, where he's, you know, driving and kicking to to Fred for three. He's finding Scotty Barnes for a pair of layups because Pascal is becoming so dangerous that even when he's in the mid post, and that's where the, the double teams are coming to him, right? Like, you know, and for a lot of teams in the NBA nowadays, it's like, well, if a player wants to attack from the post, uh, unless they can get all the way to the rim all the time, um, like a Giannis, for example, like we're probably not going to send a double that much because we're kind of okay living with contested mid-range shots in the modern NBA just based on the analytics and all that stuff. Um, you don't see it that many double teams, hard double teams that way. And, and and they threw a couple hard doubles at Pascal. Pascal's able to find Scotty for two dunks, you know, and, and then he was able to follow up for a putback after Fred, um, you know, missed the drive. And so, I mean, he just did everything. And again, like I, I just marvel at the, the, the growth in his game, the maturity in this game. I mean, he's always liked this matchup against Brooklyn um, they've always sort of lacked a, a proper wing defender, even like Royce O'Neal or Ben Simmons. These are the wing defenders that they sort of have brought in. Pascal scored on all of those guys. Pascal scored on KD. Pascal scored on all these other guys as well. So, uh, yeah, just wow. Like if this is if this is obviously we're not going to get this Pascal. Like we're not getting 37, 13, and 11 off on 75% shooting Pascal. Um, but what we've seen so far in the two games is is another step up in his growth as a player. There's a there's more maturity in what he's doing, and you look at it, and you know it's one of those uh, qualities that I, I really admired watching Kawhi that one year he was here. Um, Kawhi takes the time he gets to his spot, and then he puts you in jail. Um, now Pascal's less like that, less clinical, less ruthless, um, less. Just like I'm gonna to get to my spot and hit a, a jumper. Obviously, Pascal is gonna, you know, try to worm and angle his way and pivot his way into sort of more like closer to the basket. But it's kind of the same deal right now that I'm seeing with Pascal is he's taking his time, he's getting to his spots, he's letting the sort of play develop. He's not over anxious to score because he knows he can score. And uh, of course, when the double teams come, he's gonna set other guys up. But it's exactly the way you want to see him play and. uh you know, it's another tough matchup tomorrow against uh, Miami. That's going to be um, a team that's obviously very pesky defensively, and they're going to throw different looks at them, and Jimmy Butler's going to be on them, and Kyle Lowry's going to be taking charges and stuff like that. And, you know, all, all, you know, Miami's a tricky defensive club just because, you know, Eric is so creative, you know, with what he does. But um, I want to keep seeing this from Pascal. And, and, and yeah, it's just too bad he, they couldn't get the win because it would, it would be another... Uh, It'd be really good for the the uh, the, the propaganda, the agenda here. Um, I thought Fred was also quite good. Um, you know, it's been interesting watching Fred because you'll see it's it's a clear point of emphasis with him. You know, like for example, even in 30 minutes, he only takes 11 shots. Um, the other game he only took nine. It's not like the defense is hard double teaming him and, and not letting him get shots off. It's just that he's really 
in a playmaking role. And I'm not even playmaking in the sense that he's got the ball and he's looking to drive and kick, right? Uh, I'm, I'm saying playmaking in the sense that he's get, he's letting the offense sort of set up and then he's feeding the post. He's feeding um, Pascal in the post, which is obviously a great you know way to, to, to set up your offense right now. He's finding OG in the post. He's giving up to Scotty, right? Like He's not initiating as much as the offense. I, I mean, and I even mean initiating in terms of like you, you can initiate the offense without necessarily shooting or even assisting, but you generate the momentum on the play. You generate the advantage on the play. He's not necessarily even looking to do that right now because there's a clear point of emphasis by the team. They want to play a little bit differently. They want to put old, uh, Fred off the ball. You know, they want to emphasize these other guys, right? And, you know, I think to, to some of the pettier uh, parts of the fan base, once you know, when you when you sort of break it down in terms of player fandom versus team fandom, you know, you see a lot of like, well, you know, we let's give Fred's touches to OG, let's give Fred's touches to Scotty, let's give Fred's touches to whoever, um, and just keep him in the corner like he's you know Patty Mills or something. Like, you know, that 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 thought and that idea stops short because when you get into tough moments, Fred is there to bail you out, and and that's exactly what happened here. Not in terms of just like. Um, him taking desperation shots, which I thought happened a lot last season, and that kind of hurt his percentages at times, right? Um, but him making his mark on the team when he senses the team is really struggling. And tonight, I mean, you know, the, this is like, for example, he only took a, his first shot of the game was five minutes left in the first quarter. He took a floater after the defense sort of sagged and, and played the uh, the rolling big rather than rotating over to Fred. So Fred was able to get in for a floater. He did the same thing against Cleveland uh, in game one. Uh, but then he had a catch-and-shoot three. He had a mid-range pull-up. Like These were all like occasional shots that he was taking. But when it was difficult, when the third quarter, you know, the Nets were coming away with it, it was Fred with a driving kick to Scotty on a cut for a finish. Fred with a driving kick to set up Scotty for three. Fred with a you know hard drive kick out to Pascal for three. Then he has a three off a screen, you know, then he has a pull up three against the drop coverage. Like, you know, Fred was making huge, huge plays, you know, making strips as well. I mean, he's got four steals in both games here so far. He's got eight steals on the season. That's that's really impressive. And he's playing his role. His assists are up as well. Nine assists here tonight. Um, and and yeah. And 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 you I would say that's that's the kind of balance that I like to see from a Fred. But I, at the same time, I do want to see even a little bit more aggressiveness. I know that like the emphasis is there, and you know, I'm sure the coaching staff has good reason for this and, and, and you know all that stuff, but you know, um some of the other guys for the Raptors are still talked about in their potential, and Fred is actually one of those guys who can actually do it right now and do it on a consistent basis. And long-term, you want to see the guys hit their potential because those guys have, quote-unquote, higher ceilings than Fred, but he's still the second-best player on this team uh, next to Pascal, and it was a pleasure watching Fred and Pascal go up against Kyrie and KD. And listen, Kyrie and KD did their thing. They had 57 points. Uh, they had a combined 13 assists. You know, they 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 hit some big shots. All that kind of stuff. And they ultimately won the game, which is the most important thing. But Pascal and Fred giving you uh, a combined 55, so two points less than than those two. Uh, Fred and Pascal shooting a higher percentage, actually. Fred was 7 of 11 from the field. Pascal is 15 of 20, right? So you're, you're looking at a you're looking at almost, you know, 70% shooting from those two guys. Uh, they're giving you th- uh, 20 rebounds and 14 assists. Like, arguably... 
Fred and Pascal combined outplayed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now, of course, at the very end of the game, those guys made bigger shots, so people can be petty and say, well, those guys all played, all played you. That's fine. The game is about winning, right? But those guys delivered for you, and that's where you look at the secondary players and you, you kind of shake your head at what was OG doing in this game? What was Gary doing with some of those empty possessions in the third quarter? What was your whole bench doing for you, right? And again, I don't want to cover and I want to harken back to that too much, but it was a struggle. At least Scotty Barnes was able to find his rhythm and groove. The one thing with Scotty is he does get really quiet in the first uh, half, and then he initiates more in the in the third quarter. Um, the thing with Scotty is you just want to see him use his strength a little bit more. Um, obviously, he's good at the stuff in terms of cutting, in terms of movement, in terms of uh, you know even catch and shoot threes with Scotty. Not necessarily. I'm looking for him to, to take that many, but he's confident. He's willing to shoot it. It's more than I can say for some other guys. You know, even OG, for example, who's a much better shooter than Scotty at this point in his career. Scotty had a dime early in the game. First quarter, he throws a cross-court pass, whips it to OG's. OG's wide open. And OG, for some reason, not doesn't take the open three, drives it to the mid-range, and ends up taking a step-back mid-range jumper that, that you know, was short iron. Terrible shot. And you could literally see Scotty in the background jumping up and waving his hands in exasperation. Like, what are you doing? You know? So... You know, I, you don't have to worry about those things with Scotty, and that's that's that's, that's really nice, and it just shows a uh, you know just some of the potential there. But you also do want to see him initiate sometimes, right? Like there are possessions that you wish that he would take guys on more, and maybe it's not like so. What you'll notice is the Raptors play a lot of mismatch basketball. They'll give it to OG, and they'll feature OG because he's got Joe Harris on him, right? Um, and that might be the biggest mismatch in terms of he's he's being guarded by the weakest defender. And and, and Scotty actually can probably commands more respect from the defense. So he's got a better defender, let's say Royce O'Neal on him or something. Well, I think the 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 upgrade in terms of just the, the bigger advantage and who's a better offensive creator, that allows you to also shift your deep. It's not necessarily you got to attack the weakest defender. You got to think what's the biggest delta, the biggest difference between uh your offensive you know, talent versus their their defender at that given moment. And I'd argue that, like, Scotty has a bigger advantage. That's what your advantage is, how good you are on offense versus how weak they are on defense. Scotty, I'd rather Scotty attack the second worst defender on that team than OG's attack the worst defender on that team in isolation, right? And, and so you do wish that Scotty can get more touches in that sense. But, um, yeah, ultimately it's about the bench, a lot of young mistakes, a lot of precious fumbling a pass out of bounds even though he's wide open on the break and pascal finds him for uh a very routine pass you know a lot of christian coloco getting bad foul calls on him apparently nick was complaining about how christian blocked three shots at the rim and all of them were called fouls you know uh, a lot of uh you know just young guys making mistakes but um ultimately it's you know it, it's it's a loss and listen it's gonna be a long season uh, maybe I'm just saying this just to remind myself not to get too worked up about it, but also at the same time, it's like you, you're, the reason I'm passionate about it is because you expect great things out of the Raptors and you expect, you know, a more mature version of the Raptors to have been able to close this game out by not having so many lulls. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's where you also had to remind yourself of like, yes, we saw the Raptors do good things last year, but they are still fundamentally a very young team and you'll see moments and mistakes made by them that uh, you wouldn't see out of a more veteran side from Brooklyn who get big threes from Patty Mills or like Markeith Morris or, you know, I'm not even trying to say I'm jealous of these guys. I'm really not. Those guys are very average players, but you know, they make some big plays for you. Whereas, you know, the Raptors supporting guys just completely lay an egg and, uh, you know, we move, though, because they play again tomorrow, and uh, I'll be back to recap it tomorrow. Uh, But before I go, I'm going to hand out the three stars from tonight's game from the Raptors side. 
First stars, Pascal Siakam, 37 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists, 15 to 20 from the field, two threes, five and nine from the free throw line. That's got to get better on that front. He could have had a 40 ball if he just made his free throws. But, um, yeah, wow. Just <laughs> go back and watch this performance. What a masterclass from Pascal. Second stars, Fred, 18 points, seven rebounds, nine assists, four steals, a block. I mean, for seven of 11 from the field, very efficient Fred game, four of six from three. I mean, played really good defense against Kyrie, but Kyrie just shot it over him. Fred did mention that Kyrie is the toughest player to guard in the league. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Kyrie, uh, he's done it at the highest level. So, you you know, you got to hand it to him. Although so has Fred, but, you know, people don't give him that same credit. I guess it's not the same, but still, uh, you know. Anyway, uh, and then your third star, Scotty Barnes, 17 points, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals, a block. My only complaint is he, he came on too late. But, you know, if that's the pattern and the rhythm of his career so far, um, I kind of can live with it if he wants to sort of, sort of feel out the game and, you know, allow it to sort of come to him and then pick his spots in the second half. I don't I don't I don't mind it. It's the same pattern we saw last season as well. Um, but, you know the difference with Scotty, unlike other young players is that he will eventually get it right. It's not going to be a complete nothing like precious gave you tonight. Right. So that's, that's kind of the difference in class between in terms of the, the prospects on the team. Uh, your Joe Henderson award is uh, going to Nick Claxton. I mean, 19 points, 11 rebounds, eight, 11. I'm disgusted looking at the stat line, but he really worked the Raptors four blocks of steel. Like, yeah, he was excellent. And uh, it's just too bad that the Raptors couldn't put a body on him a lot of the time. And, and listen, uh, Christian, you know, this is what happens in the NBA. Everyone's good, right? You come into this game, you're like, ooh, I get to play KD. I wear 35 because of KD. KD drops a couple of uh, contested jumpers over you, even though you're like seven foot a thousand, and KD's still shooting it over the top of you, and you're like, damn, that's tough. But the real tough thing is the fact that a guy like Nick Claxton, who's just an average player when you think about it in the grand scheme, works you for this much. So you really have to be prepared every single night. And uh, Christian did, you know, make efforts defensively. But come on, man, not a single defensive rebound in in this matchup. You got to do better. And especially if you're going to get minutes, you're going to get expectations, you got to do better. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a lesson to learn. And hopefully they apply some of those lessons against Miami tomorrow. They're going to be desperate. Miami has lost both their f- uh, first two games here. To start the season, and so you're going to expect a really tough performance. Uh, and yeah, hopefully the Raptors are able to come through with that one. But for now, thanks everyone for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, catch me tomorrow live after the game. Peace. Peace.